0: seasonal and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's a conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018 florist review magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special offer for a free trial issue at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 351. I've invited Hedda Brorstrom of Full Bloom Flower Farm and Floral Design to return to the Slow Flowers podcast as today's guest for a number of reasons. You may recall that she was part of my series on the North Bay Flower Collective community a few years ago when I interviewed Hedda along with Seth Chapin of Evermore Flowers and Danielle Strawn of Jolie Blooms. That was episode 242. That interview was primarily focused on the origins of the North Bay Flower Collective, of which Hedda is one of the founders. Recently, Hedda joined the American Flowers Week campaign as a featured designer for this year's floral fashion collection. I want you to hear her story and learn more about how she became a farmer florist in California's Sonoma County, as well as her creative process designing wearable fashion. You'll want to check out the gallery of photographs of Hedda, her flower farm, her floral designs that I've shared as part of today's show notes at deboraprinzing.com. And enjoy the big reveal of the incredible dahlia dress that Hedda designed last fall in collaboration with flower farmer Kate Rowe of Aztec Dahlias. As a way to raise awareness of flower farming and sustainable floral design, I started the Floral Fashion Series in 2016 with one amazing look, a red, white, and blue fro from Susan McCleary of Passion Flower. That was followed by five wearable fashion floral looks last year. And again, for 2018, I've commissioned five original floral wearable looks. You'll hear from all the designers for 2018 in the coming weeks, beginning today with Hedda. Betta shares this personal statement on her website.
1: Farming started
0: for me growing up on Wiggle Worm Bait Farm in Grayton, California. My parents tended rich worm beds with the motto, We like them fat and lively. And I got to be a wild, worm loving farm kid. One of my farm chores growing up was to create floral arrangements around the house. Little bud vases of Daphne and Violets sat above the kitchen sink in February. Big vases of bearded iris and mock orange graced the bathroom in late spring, and bedside posies of rattlesnake grass and yarrow made nights feel special throughout the summer. I bent willows into crowns, weeded my mom's gardens, and munched on fresh green miner's lettuce and Asian pears from the neighbor's farm. The puffball viburnum and cabbage roses that I I use in my floral crowns now are from the same plants I used to have petal fights with as we waited for the school bus. It wasn't until I was studying agroecology at UC Berkeley, however, that I realized Sonoma County is an agricultural gem and I was blessed to grow up a bit wild and plant loving. After college, I spent six years teaching gardening and ecology in the San Francisco School District and working as an environmental educator at the Academy of Sciences and for Save the Bay. Wanting to dive deeper into growing, I attended the UC Santa Cruz Ecological Horticulture Program, where my interest in flowers turned from a childhood memory into a full-blown, full-bloom obsession. I learned about variety selection, post-harvest handling, and farm management. A love of art coupled with farming moved me into floral design, making me a true farmer florist. The shape, texture, and movement of each bloom allows me to paint with flowers like I never could on a canvas. The dirt and grit of cultivation and beauty of pulling it all together is two jobs. Sometimes these jobs feel like being a chef who grows their own food. But who better to make a dish than the one who loved it from seed? In 2012, I could no longer contain my flower passion, so I moved home to my wormy roots to my childhood plants, and I started Full Bloom Flower Farm. After a year in production, I enrolled in the wonderful California School of Herbal Studies, where I gained my certificate in herbalism. In the plant world, learning is never-ending, and I am happy to infuse plant magic into all my arrangements. Full Bloom is a mighty one-acre flower farm providing endless beauty, medicine, and life to the community. I'm proud to be a farmer and a florist. It is my greatest joy to bring plant art to ceremonies, and I hope to share my joy with others. Hedda's endless curiosity is inspiring, and I loved having this time to catch up with her. She describes her aesthetic as flower full, perhaps the inspiration for her business name, Full Bloom. I know you'll enjoy her story too. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And I'm so delighted today to reintroduce Hedda Brorstrom. Hedda is a return guest and I've got her on the line today. Hi, Hedda. Hi, Deborah. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I alluded to the fact that you're a past guest. We sure had fun recording um, an episode about the North Bay Flower Collective, of which you're one of the co-founders. Gosh, that was like two or three years ago, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. We've been around for a while and got to have you out to the property before the season started. So you've been there, but not while it was blooming. That's right. right.
0: I had so much fun sitting at that picnic table uh, in the the, um, garden area of where you farm in Grayton, which is in, I guess some people say it's a little hamlet <laughs> in Sonoma County, right?
1: Yeah. The joke is that if you blink while you're driving through town, you kind of miss it. So it's about, um, the main downtown is about a block long and it's just outside of Sebastopol.
0: Okay, great. Well, I, I love that. And, and Sebastopol is where the north, um, Sonoma Flower Mart is located right? And that's isn't that where you sell a lot of your product?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's um about seven minutes away. So the commute's not bad for me to drop off my flowers there.
0: Oh my gosh. That's so better so much better than if you had to drive into San Francisco and deliver flowers. Yes it's, it's not a bad commute. Oh my gosh. Well, um, that was a wonderful visit, but when we had, I uh, had you on the podcast, we really were talking about the North Bay Flower Collective, a little bit about your farm, but why don't you introduce your farm and your whole business name because you've expanded it a little bit. And then we'll talk about kind of a snapshot of where you are now.
1: Yeah. So my, my business is full bloom flower farm and floral design. And, I just celebrated five years of business, and so I'm going into my sixth season. Awesome,
2: is,
1: feels really good and exciting, and um, happy to have that growing knowledge. And it's just a continual learning process. And uh, the bulk of the business is primarily serving events and weddings, but um, there's a lot of other components to it as well. Mm-hmm. a lot of one-off orders growing for the flower mart doing a grocery store and then um delivering weekly arrangements to businesses all over town as well.
0: And is most of your are you trying to concentrate uh most of your activities in within Sonoma County so that you are keeping your kind of footprint as small as possible or how does that work?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing that goes outside of a 20 minute drive is if I'm shipping something that's an herbal product or a dried flowers. Mm, but mm-hmm. other than that, because it's an acre farm and it's mainly just me out there farming, I like to spend most of my time farming. And uh, I've got so many farmer florist friends nearby that um, I've got a lot of customers within the higher-end floral boutique flower industry right Mm -hmm. next to me. So I don't have to go too far to sell my flowers. Mm -hmm. So you're growing,
0: uh, for, uh, other designers, but also you, uh, are yourself a designer and, and, um, I, I'm assuming you're doing weddings and events, destination weddings and events that come to Sonoma. Is that correct? Or how do you,
1: what do you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's about 70% of my business income is from weddings. Wow. So I do everything from DIY buckets for people who want to do their own designs and save a bit of money all the way to full service weddings, um, with arches and wearables and the whole,
0: the whole nine yards for people. Wow. Wow. That's so amazing. Isn't that great when you started, um, that market wasn't as mature as it is now. I mean, you've kind of created the demand, I think, along with your peers of keeping these flowers in the County, right?
1: Yeah, there were really not that many of us when I started. In fact, that was how the North Bay Flower Collective started was I have a tradition of trying to find people and um, learn from their experience. And I was going all over the county trying to find other flower farmers, and there just weren't that many people to talk to. So it was... um, I would say maybe just two of us or three of us that were doing growing and designing. And that number has grown from, we had five people at the first meeting at my house up to 50 members in the North Bay flower collective. So every year there's new people joining and um, doing wedding design. And it's really helpful to have access to their flowers. If I need to have an all white wedding, then I'm buying just Sonoma County. I'm, I'm aware that this is rare. <laughs> there's a lot of other growers that have reached out to us and said, how did you do it all? And part of it is just that we have an amazing climate and we have a lot of growers. So it works that we can do really hyper local weddings. Right. And now I've just did one. It's May. I was really proud. I only bought three bunches of flowers in to do a full service wedding. So my field producing a lot for myself. So I'm not having to buy much anymore. Yeah.
0: Describe what you are growing in your um, one acre. And um, yeah, you're right. I was there so early. We were looking at seedlings on trays that I think you and your dad had just seeded um, maybe in March. So, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I like when the farm sits on a table. (laughs) Yeah. That's
0: exactly right.
2: It
1: was on a table. (laughs) Yeah. It's manageable at that point. Yeah. it's, It's changed from The first year I started growing because there was not a huge demand in the area and there was kind of an uncertainty, I had specialized in dried flowers. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did my first season. Um, I really wanted to make a dried wreath and I have made so many of them over the years that um, I've really changed what I'm growing from a series of annuals, which I still grow a lot of those just classics for my grocery store accounts. People like bright flowers at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing celosia and sunflowers and zinnias. But um, the way I kind of look at my field now is I've done larger plant outs of fancier flowers and I focus on the focal flowers so that I have these fancy flowers for my events. So it kind of breaks down where it's, anemone and ranunculus season. And then that finishes and the roses start up. So it's all David Austin roses. Although I just added some, um, stainless steel and distant drums, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: a row of those. Um, so then it's rose season and then it's dahlia season, which they're actually already forming buds right now. And I'm like, I'm not ready. It's still Oh my (laughs) God. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. And then a lot of Lysianthus. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the main crops. And then tons of variety, like maybe just five feet of a weird grass or, you know, 20 feet of a special kind of amy um, to fill in to make the design really unique.
0: So, Hedda, you're really unique in that you're farming specifically with the mindset of a floral designer. And um, that is... I think that's probably giving you a competitive edge as a business that you're, you're already almost designing bouquets for clients that haven't even contacted you yet as you're planting. I love that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes even specifically as people are, if they're early enough, I can change like this year. I knew I had more red than I've ever had before. So I changed what I was growing to, um, put that into production, but always white, always blush. That's and burgundy pops Mm -hmm. with burgundy. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) No wonder you're happy to have those grocery clients for a few little primary colors to brighten up the field.
1: (laughs) I have to. And then also there's, there's a lot of people around here too, that, you know, they'll call up and say they want wildflowers. Like we don't harvest wildflowers because often they don't last in a vase, but you definitely want agro and sunflowers and rubecia. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I love designing with colors. I think for me, that's how it all started, the love of floral design was I used to paint, but I could never master the fine details, but I loved color. And then finally through floral design, I just had the shapes already Mm, there mm, to play with. So I can't not grow the colorful things. mm -hmm. I, I love that part. And I, I personally love being able to do the grocery store and to do the coffee shops and the yoga studios and the restaurants. Because it feels like I'm serving my community instead of just doing um, wedding after wedding after wedding. So that's really important to me to make sure that my friends can go buy my flowers and have them in their house.
2: Right.
0: That is a compliment to you that you are very community-minded. You grew up in this community. Then you went away and, like, had your big city life. And then you returned, right? Tell us a little bit about that journey that you took. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Pretty much everyone that grew up here, it's like salmon. You just kind of come back because it's so (laughs) nice here. Um, It's hard to come back and it's hard to find a niche. There's so many cool young people here doing really great environmental work, Um, but Mm. it's expensive to be here. Mm -hmm. So I had left, I went to UC Berkeley um, for four years and I studied agroecology there and it was really just the politics of agriculture and Mm -hmm. less hands on. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, but we did have a student garden and the minute that I walked in that student garden, I knew that I wanted to be a garden teacher. Mm. Um, having grown up in Sonoma County, my neighbors owned an organic Asian pear farm. So I just didn't think that that was even a unique thing Mm -hmm. until I left and realized, Oh Yeah. Asian pears and pluots and all this rare fruit that other people don't have access to is a really special thing that I had.
2: Mm. Um,
1: so after, after college, I knew I wanted to be a garden coordinator and a garden teacher, and it took a long time to actually land at the right school. So It sounds like I'm 50 when I describe (laughs) my work experience because I always had three jobs at at a time. I was living, um, I went to Hawaii for a while and started an internship farming there. So we were farming on all these different um, amazing farms and uh, it's been pretty surreal to watch because I was in Pahoa, which is where... um, there's active Uh, volcanic activity happening right now. So my heart's over there. (laughs) On the big island. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's scary. On on the big island. Yeah, so um, watching that and then um, moving back to San Francisco and I worked um, doing restoration with Save the Bay, which Mm -hmm. was one of the best jobs I've ever had and learned a lot about nursery work. And working with really large groups of people, a lot of which were tech industry people who would come out from their jobs and touch soil sometimes for the first time in like fifteen to twenty yeah. years. Get get out of their
0: yeah, get out of their little cubicle and and do something in fresh air, right?
1: Yeah, I think people for a long time were doing like ropes course and team building through these activities. And then they realized, you know, there's a lot of environmental work that we could be doing mm. and we would take people out, do some education, and then either pull invasive or plant natives. Um, mm. and that was great. So that was kind of like the first job teaching outdoors with large groups realized the benefit of bringing coffee to people <laughs> adults, for working. And then, um, and then I got a job at the the Academy of Sciences, which was the first year that they reopened their doors. oh
0: my and, god and if people um, if people aren't aware of that, is this amazing um, i guess cultural and muse- museum institution in um, Golden Gate park,
1: right? Yeah, with a green roof oh. um, an aquarium, a planetarium, a rainforest, and my job was to do the presentations for, um, up to 300, normally about 300 people at a time. So we had 2 million visitors that first year. Uh, I was sick a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I was still looking for my right school this whole Mm, time to, mm -hmm. To be a garden coordinator. And eventually I landed at, um, an elementary school Commodore Sloat and I was their garden teacher for, um, 450 students for four years. And I mm. just, I loved it there.
0: Do you think that, um, that is unique to, um, that situation i mean i just, i just know that public schools have so lim- so limited resources or are limited in their resources that the luxury of having a garden teacher i i think every school should have one was this a private school or a charter school or how did that work out
1: this is a public school wow. um i had i had worked at a private school um, doing an install of a roof garden before that but there's there's some organizations now that help with the funding. But at that point in time, my salary was paid for by the the parents mm-hmm. and we would raise money for the position mm-hmm. and had a lot of electives, but every year it was voted the most important elective and people, I mean, we worked pretty hard to raise money for it yeah. but um, and it wasn't much money, but it was, a critical part to the school. We were the rainbow school. So it was a lot of diversity within the population and the garden was, it was very large. It was about an acre of land that we were, we were farming a small food garden. And then I put in an orchard before. <laughs> now there's money to put in orchards. It was not allowed at that time, but I did it anyway, because there's no way. <laughs> they were saying that, like, rats would come in because of the fruit. And I'm like, the kids aren't even going to let the fruit ripen. Right, so, like, right. There's, there's <sighs> no way. But that um, So it's cool that they've changed policy a lot since I left that position. But um, the school was really established. The garden had already been there for 13 years. And people would come to pick up their kids after school, and there'd be these language barriers. But in the garden, everyone... Would all the grandmas would be pointing at different plants Mm. and showing me what they grew and bring me seeds. And it was a really, really um, wonderful position. And uh, the Mm. kids, it's great to have them outdoors. And a lot of times if there were behavioral issues, I'd get sent oftentimes fifth grade boys. Mm -hmm. And I had this lavender patch that, okay, go go pick the lavender, that's your punishment. And then <laughs> we dry it.
0: And yeah, and Hopefully, so. hopefully, like the um, aromatherapy would calm them down from working in the lavender fields, right?
2: Exactly. Oh my gosh. Exactly.
0: So you were, yeah, you were, we have- you were growing flowers in this garden that maybe originally had been designed for fruit and food, right? I mean, is that sort of how you got flowers under your skin?
1: Well, well, what happened was I knew that I wanted to gain even more skills in farming. And so I took a year off and I went back to school to UC Santa Cruz where they have their apprenticeship program. Mm-hmm. That's a six month program. Yep. It's and, amazing. Um, it's it's half the people that are farmers in Sonoma County kind of have gone through that program. It really schools you up and makes you... Um, able to run a business and understand growing methods on multiple scales. So hand scale and tractor scale. And I got put in charge of, um, the flowers in the down garden when they were peaking. And so I learned all the flower names, taught stage of harvest to the crew, and then was learning a lot myself and just became fully obsessed. So that's neat. Instantly, instantly knew that I wanted to do these installs. I didn't even know that floral design was a, a occupation. <laughs> and I was, had my whole tank cabin full of marigolds, and had everybody in there laying down and doing a photo shoot, and mm. doing these funny sculptures with plants in my off time, and going into the woods and testing different plant materials to see vase life. And that was the wow. first time I did an event with vases. Was there, and mm. then um. After finishing that program, I came back to San Francisco. I was working at the school, and I just could tell that I no longer – I feel like if a teacher doesn't want to be teaching, they should leave right away because it's a disservice to kids to Mm -hmm. stay. And I was so production-minded that, you know, I needed to go farm. So I moved moved home. Yeah. So that's interesting.
0: Uh, You – you listen to yourself, and you didn't know that you wanted this until you pushed yourself to great, gain more skills. Which I think is part of your narrative thread that you're always doing. Um, I'm sure that you don't discount those years teaching as a school garden educator, though, because that probably you were probably using those those experiences every day when you're interacting with with customers and I actually- clients.
1: Yeah, I actually think that the, I was thinking about my design style, which I kind of describe as flower full, like full of flowers Mm. um, and Mm. kind of heavy impact with a lot and um, often pretty colorful. Mm -hmm. And I think that I, while I was there, I was teaching nutrition and art in the garden. And I think that the aesthetic of kids is the best. I love kids' drawings and paintings. And I think that that really rubbed off on me in a big way mm-hmm. and influences floral yeah. design. And honestly, my favorite customer every time is a kid, they mm-hmm. just, they get it. They love flowers. When I used to do farmer's markets, I used to have regular kid customers and <laughs> there's yeah. nothing quite like giving a kid a bouquet. It's the best. Uh, it's My favorite.
0: I yeah. love it. Well, before we talk about the big project that we worked on together, um, which we're going to reveal this in this conversation. I want to just also ask you to talk about, um, your work in studying, um, herbs and, uh, using herbs in various, um, kind of holistic and medicinal ways. I mean, I, you, you studied and have a certification, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I moved home. I started the farm. I farmed for a year and the whole idea was that I wanted it to be a flower farm and, um, um, medicinal herb farm, but, um, there was kind of not a question in my mind when I moved home and started the farm that I needed to go to the California school of herbal studies, one of the best herbal schools in the country. And it's 15 minutes away from my farm. So mm, perfect. <laughs> it felt, it felt pretty scary to go back to school again while I was farming and a new farmer at that. Um, But I made it work that second year. It was a nine-month program, three days a week, and can't say enough good things about that program. You learn medicine making, you learn about plants, you learn about physiology, and you learn about the history of medicinal plants. And you also spend a lot of time doing plant meditations as well, so Mm. sitting with plants and, um, being quiet and listening Mm. to plants. So that, um, that. that has shown up. Yeah. That's shown up in my work a lot. Um, if I feel like I have the time to, you know, normally I'm picking for a bride, I'm thinking about them months before I even start their bridal bouquet, but there's always one or two flowers that I know I've got my eye on and I'm saving for that particular person. Cause it kind of calls my name from the field. So Mm. I use that plant meditation and I want to practice it more often. And I think like just even doing plant sketching, which sometimes I'll invite the public to come and do sketch nights in the field um, is a beautiful way of, of kind of getting out of the fact that most of the time I'm just working so fast and hard that it's a reminder to slow down and appreciate each and every plant and bloom. Um, yeah,
0: I, yeah. Ha, you have to be intentional about it. I think the fact that you live where you farm is probably, um, indirectly influencing that. Like you, you do have a 24 seven kind of relationship with your, with what you're growing. But you right? know
1: what I, I don't actually, I oh. moved. So oh. I lived there for, <laughs> I lived there for three years and now, I live in a town about 15 minutes away from the farm. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, which is also really nice. It's in the woods and it doesn't freeze up here. So I can grow a lot of different plants and there's no gophers up here. So I grow special things up here just so, Mm. that they're different from the climate just down the hill. But Uh. you're right. I am at the farm pretty much. Twelve to fourteen hours a day, so it's like <laughs> I live there. <laughs> well,
0: your fa- your family's involved, and you've got nieces and nephews and siblings and and parents. So, I mean, I it's kind of that's the compound, yeah. right?
1: I mean, I grew up there, and I've been looking at the garden plants that I sometimes take <laughs> thinkfully <laughs> to my to my parents and my sister and. Um, yeah, have a long standing relationship with a lot of the plants out there. Like yeah. the the eucalyptus that I cut from. I helped my mom plant that when I was six. Wow. So there's there's a deep relationship with um with the willows as well. I feel like I that's why I was into the reeds is as a kid I was always making structures and, you know, tying them into circles and making it my own little head crown. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of experience in that. And I think with the herbalism, I knew that plants, um, by taking classes up at Occidental Arts and Ecology Center for a lot of years, mm-hmm. um, the garden teacher training, as well as just other one-off classes, I knew that there was um, more, to, more to learn in the herbal world. And so now, um, after going through that program, I different people get obsessed with different things. And for me, it was skincare. So I thought I was going to be growing a lot of herbs for the herb exchange here and selling mass amounts of herbs to people. And it turns out I really like making products and I love making face creams. So now I make, um, calendula face cream and rose based face creams out of my roses. And that's pretty much my income for the winter months Wow! is, um, when the, Deep, we get pretty cold, so sometimes even down to fourteen. Um, I'm working in my in my little laboratory and making herbal products
0: mm-hmm. for people. Well, that's sustainable too. Like trying to figure out how to make a living uh, from your farm um, in all four seasons. So I, I think that is a lesson that may inspire other people to think about what can you do when your garden is dormant or your farm is dormant. So you've worked that out. Definitely. Yeah.
1: And also, I mean, with the herbalism, even if I wasn't making money off of it, as a farmer, you're not making much money at all. And health is super important. And I feel so empowered to be able to make decisions about my health and affect my health health in a positive way because I went through this training program. So Mm -hmm. I think some people have some holdups and um, I've had quite a few people contact me and ask what my opinion was on going back to school for herbalism. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the better things I've ever done was um, to get that health care for myself um, in a, in an age where it's not always accessible, especially if you don't make much money. So mm. it's uh, neat. Uh, it fit- really, really nice.
0: Yeah, it fits into the overall kind of picture of of who you are and what full bloom farm is um yeah and i love it i
1: definitely i definitely want to give herbs to half the brides i'm like maybe <laughs> i should build that into a package with like you know here's some calming herbs here's and sometimes i spray the bouquets with hydrosols or I'm always sticking pieces of yarrow into almost every bridal and bridesmaids bouquet. It's the herb of protection. And Mm. it's a day where you're kind of on stage and Mm -hmm. you want to create some boundaries. Sometimes there's family issues or just different things happening. And I put it in my own pocket too, because weddings are so stressful. It's hard to enter that space every weekend and not take on, even if it's all just love and excitement, it's a lot of energy. So to try and kind of like hold your own self in these spaces of high energy.
0: Oh my god, um, I love that. I really think that you're doing yeah. a you're doing this intangible service to uh, or providing this intangible service to your clients and sometimes they're not even aware of, but it's like you
2: have to you not talk about <laughs> it. Actually, yeah. It's too woo woo. So I don't <laughs> really talk about
0: it. Well, yeah, <laughs> it, it, in, if they would to look look back on that date and and have you tell them that story, they might actually realize how grateful they were
1: for your philosophy normally what I do say is I hand over the bridal bouquet and I always let them know like this is something from the earth that's going to ground you down so when you feel like you're floating away just like you know give yourself a little squeeze with that bouquet and remember like you're on the planet Mm. (laughs) you're grounded Mm. with these plants and they're here to support you and Mm. you know look good for your photograph too Mm. love it yeah
0: Okay. Well, I want to thank you publicly for saying yes when I asked you if you wanted to um, be part of creating a floral fashion for American Flowers Week 2018, which is coming up uh, very soon. It starts um, June 28th and goes to July 4th. It's the week leading up to Independence Day. Um, Why did I ask you? I think because you are... I've always been impressed with your wearables, Hedda. You've done amazing headpieces, posted them on your social, you know, Instagram and your other feeds. And I've seen the elaborate kind of back to that fullness idea. You're, you're elaborate in your, in your compositions and in your creations. Uh, How did you get into doing these amazing wearables? And and we can't, uh, we also have to mention your floral bra that you created a couple years ago. Yeah, (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think I think once you start doing enough regular bouquets, you you kind of want to do something else as well. And the idea of doing big installs and then also really small detailed things and just playing with plants in every way possible is um, how it kind of got started. Mm. I was, um, you know, social media is so cool for inspiration and so, definitely seeing all of the different wearable options that other people were creating. And then um, just having that feeling always my whole life of wanting to have plants on me um, (laughs) really led to a lot of, a lot of head crowns and I was making them before I owned a flower farm too. Mm. Um, And I don't know, they're just, It's something that seems, like, very natural and uh, something that is an extra fun thing to give to anyone whenever you go somewhere so that they can be walking around with plants if it's their birthday or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's it's my favorite thing to make are Mm -hmm. the wearables, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, Um,
0: Well, maybe we can share a few photos of some of the pieces that you've done in the past um, in the show notes for today's episode. I definitely want to share the dahlia dress that you created for American Flowers Week. And uh, you teamed up with uh, Kate Rowe of Aztec Dahlias, who's located pretty close to you, I think. And both of you said yes to create this look in a under really difficult circumstances and I just want to tell you how much I love you for doing that and we're going to show um never before seen images of this amazing dolly dress uh in the show notes um for today's episode. So describe a little bit about how you approached that and like what were the parameters that were not so ideal for creating this look.
1: Yeah. So it was we had said yes to it earlier in the season And then the week that it came to photograph and create the Dahlia Dress, the fires in Sonoma County broke out. So it was one of, I would say it's like one of the worst fires in history. It it is, but Mm. they have just continued after that as well um, down in Santa Barbara. But overall, um, the fires started, and I'm looking at some notes here. It says that there were... um, 5,600 structures that burned Wow. cost, cost the area $1.2 billion and and 3,600 acres were burned. So oh. it was the scariest event. And, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night, I could smell smoke and I'm way out, um, in Occidental area, a bit further from Santa Rosa, where most of the damage happened in terms of structures. Mm-hmm. And, um, Woke up, smelt smoke, went back to bed, thought, oh, it's just something far away. Mm-hmm. And I, the next morning, get up, and it's 7 o'clock, but it's dark out, mm. like very dark. And I drive downtown, and everybody in town is out in the street just looking up at the sky, and it's black. Um, this lasted for 11 days of very, very intense – everyone's got their bags packed, ready to – get out of town, ready to move, ready to evacuate um, with really high winds and just really bad air quality. Mm -hmm. So people in our community directly were affected. Um, One of the floral designers from the North Bay Flower Collective, she lost her home. A bunch of other designers' parents lost their homes and grandparents lost their homes. And, um, so scary, it was, it was so scary. And I'm actually scared to relive the dry season again. Mm. Um, when it comes, I think people haven't, we haven't fully processed and definitely like haven't rebuilt. It's been beautiful to watch the wildflowers come back. This is, we live in a fire ecology and we've been suppressing fire for a long time here. And this was kind of bound to happen. Mm. Um, so that's another part of the whole story. Um, but when it affects the downtown areas and homes, it's it was just um, a time that we could have said, no, we can't do this project. But that wasn't even called into question. Mm. Um, I've never seen... Anything like it, our town people were the farmers were donating food Acupuncturists were giving acupuncture and massage therapists were doing massage for the firefighters shelters were being you know people were helping out everywhere they could I think in unprecedented and weird ways that only Sonoma County knows how to <laughs> heal and help uh-huh, so I had my truck um completely packed with herbs because I was going home and making respiratory tea. I was handing out hydrosols. I made a lot of lip balm I was handing out and I was doing this from my car in parking lots because people are just like in a daze. Wow. So I was handing out all these herbal products that week, but I also started handing out flowers and that like herbal products, people don't know what to do with them and you have to explain them and (laughs) <laughs> the second I would hand a bouquet to people, they were, they were hugging it, like oh my gosh. hands around their heart, crying, being like, oh my gosh, thank you. Something beautiful. Mm. So the idea was, you know, we could not do the flower dress. The air quality was really bad, but instead it just, there wasn't really a question we were going to do it. It was just, um, difficult. Cause like the
0: the winds were so getting bad down right?
1: there. Yeah, there was there was helicopters going over us the entire day that I was making the dress. Um, mm. you know, with a fire retardant in there over over and over and over mm. past us, whizzing past us. It was mm-hmm. pretty dramatic. Um mm-hmm. but also very meditative to be at, in Kate's field, which is um in Petaluma and amazingly beautiful. And there's something so cool and calm about dahlias and you know, they're so full of moisture and they're glittery and beautiful that um, it was also very therapeutic for me mm. to do something like this and do something that I've always done wearables, but I've always wanted to do a dress. So it was really fun mm. for me to, um, to do that. And um, it's a big, <laughs> fluffy, <laughs> poofy, princess uh barbie cake inspired
0: (laughs) dahlia dress oh Uh, it's i mean the fact that you were able to design just next to where the fields were and you had volunteers bringing you buckets of flowers it was like you know ideals from a designer's point of view probably an ideal setup anytime
1: designer gets three hundred and fifty dollars to play with for free it's it's a good day
0: (laughs) yeah and yet you you did kind of think this whole thing through and uh had some sort of process in mind for how to make it work in time for the photography and that is you pre-designed the model's bodice um at home right with with your own product yeah
1: yeah so I knew after having made a couple wearable things um kind of in a fail. Mm. <laughs> I did a top with ranunculas once and it was just too puffy even mm. on a you know a, a fitted top. It mm. just is too fluffy So I knew that I wanted the top half to be um form fitting and tight, so I used dusty miller and lambs ear. And I often turn the leaf over just cuz it's got more interesting veins on the back yeah. and then filled in with moss and some other gray plants um for the top part. So it's form fitting. And then I do a lot of work with succulents. So I had made a succulent belt that goes around too. That's so Um, pretty. Yeah. That's all really nice and tight. And then the big, you know, immovable, you cannot wear this (laughs) down a runway skirt. (laughs) (laughs) Went on next.
0: (laughs) Well, in the florist review article, which, um, we'll, I'll be able to share, uh, I'm not sure if I'll have it in our show notes, but I'll be able to share it soon. Um, you talk about the mechanics of trying to figure out how to create that full skirt. And a lot of people use chicken wire as their under, kind of under mechanics, or hidden mechanics for wearables. But you you built a hoop into it somehow, and it really succeeded. It was, it was brilliant what you did.
1: Yeah, it's a hula hoop, actually. <laughs> so it's a hula hoop, and then I cut the hula hoop, and then... Um, that was actually my dad's idea as, you know, it was a little bit like, I thought I was going to have all this time to work on the dress and then the fires happened. And yeah, um, I actually had two weddings that week too. So it was just like all this stuff was happening. So it came together well, um, in those like quick moments, Mm, Um, mm -hmm. what should we do? Oh, that's a hoop. That hoop looks like we could just put that in and, um, then the model, Sophia, she was so sweet and she helped stick all of the flowers in the dress with me. So, um, we did a gradient and the colors theme, um, cause I had access to pretty much anything I wanted. I just decided to go with what I had been designing most with that year, which were, um, the, the blushes and the whites. And then we did it into like a darker, you know, burgundy mm-hmm. and with a little bit of, um, the darker red, cause it just mm-hmm. felt appropriate with the fires, like to go from this kind of smoldery hot zone into this cool, like, what are the images that we can bring up and conjure of water?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's symbolic. Um, it's nice to hear the story though, because on, on its own, it's, it's a beautiful floral dress, but there's, it represents so many people's involvement and so much of that hard, um, you know, hard experience you were all going through, you were texting me photos of you and the model wearing face masks to to protect your, to protect your respiratory system, except for when the photos were being snapped. And I, oh my God, had I just felt horrible when I saw that. I just, the, (laughs) the conditions you were working under were horrible.
1: Yeah, but it gave us purpose. And there were a lot of people out there helping, um, and so excited about the whole project and yeah. everybody was, you know, willing to lend a hand and be out there and you get really stir crazy when a, a disaster happens and it's important to have projects and it's super important to have artwork.
2: So mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. felt
1: like the right thing to do
0: at mm-hmm. the time. Well, it's a po- um, yeah, it's a positive result for a tragic tragedy. And I think you and Kate were of like mind in that, like, how can we not do this? We have to do this. And i I'm, St- yeah. I celebrate both of you for that um what are you going to do for American Flowers Week yourself this year you probably haven't even thought about it yet <laughs> I haven't oh all but right I, I'm throwing down the gauntlet we'll, Hedda
1: <laughs> we'll have to do something <laughs> um I don't know it's it's fun to have I think that my job I'd I never quite um, admitted how much I love celebrations mm. and holidays. Mm-hmm. And I just love, I love the idea that everyone that week is really promoting locally grown and American grown flowers and bringing awareness. Cause it's still, I mean, I, in my world, I've said it so many times, it's told the story of, you know, the importance of local organic flowers and people still are, yeah. hearing the story for the first time. So it's it's cool to know that it's getting bigger every year and that it's a chance to be creative. And I think I did sunglasses one year and a bikini top because it's always 4th of July week. So yeah. Yeah. there's a lot of beach going and it's a slower <clears throat> time for flower sales. So there's always a little opportunity to play. And I think that that's, that's a big neat. part of it is like, yeah, playing with it and doing something that I normally wouldn't do. Like no one's going to order a bikini. But maybe they will. Maybe they will now.
0: I don't know. It was it was a, a, a very popular uh, trending uh, image two years ago when you did that. And hey, I didn't mean to put you on the spot about what are you going to do. I just know that uh, your, your contribution to raising awareness by just using that hashtag American Flowers Week during a week when there, like you said, there isn't a lot going on uh, in the wedding world. I mean, I I guess people get married over July 4th weekend, but you know, and maybe that'll increase, but in traditionally it hasn't been. Um, and you're just, you are, you're full of everything. Had a full bloom, full party, full creativity, <laughs> full engagement. I, I just love that about the way you approach life. And uh, I, I think it'll inspire other people to see what you and um, Kate and all the volunteers who, many of whom are Soulflowers flowers members uh, created Um you know, to support your vision with this beautiful Dahlia dress. I just, I'm just excited.
1: Yeah. I think the one thing that we didn't mention that I wanted to mention about the dress and about wearables Mm -hmm. is that um, they are such an amazing thing to see when people see images of somebody wearing plants. Mm. It's this moment of like, oh yeah, we are of this earth and we're from the planet. And whenever I hang out with non-plant people, they're always so surprised at how often I walk around touching plants. And that's, for me, part of the fun of plants is actually physically interacting with them. Um, I think that wearing plants is the whole next level of people having this reaction deep in them that we are plant people and we depend on plants for life. And we may have, a skewed relationship with that relationship of interaction right Mm -hmm. now. And that was not to say that that's why the fires happen because we live in a fire ecology, but it's why the fires were so bad is that we haven't been interacting with the wildlands, We haven't had as many controlled burns. We don't have as much grazing, even though there's plenty of grazers here that need more work um, to reduce the fuel load. So it was, it's really a big environmental story of our our sectioning off where we do interact with plants and where we don't interact with plants, and what's wild um, versus what's wild and managed at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, is all a really important part of of kind of moving on in this area, knowing that it is a fire. I mean, the whole state of California, right? right. Fire ecology. So I think we all need to kind of rethink our relationship with with quote unquote wildlands and management of of wildlands. And I in my weird brain, somehow making a flower dress does that. <laughs> I
0: love it. No, and I just I also think that 2017 and eighteen there were a lot of natural disasters that befell flower farmers. It, 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 there were hurricanes, there were floods, there were fires, there were mudslides. It's like we are in mother nature and we're in, you know, this, this environment. Yeah. yeah, It kind of has a life of its own and you, you can't, you can't wish it away. You just have to deal with it. And um, it just seemed like it all kind of came to a head in the past year. And maybe we're just a little, people are hopefully taking some preventive measures and proactive steps to um, prepare for, the inevitable, like what you're kind of alluding to is like, it's going to happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And even in our town, um, I know that they're working through the farmer's guild on kind of the best things that happened and that the community did post disaster and during disaster to have a template for people, you know, cause it's seen what's happening in Hawaii. It's so reminiscent. And mm. na- if you've ever gone through a natural disaster, you have such a different feeling when you see it happening somewhere else. Cause you know how, mm stressful scary and disorienting it Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. so to come up with some more safety precautions things to put in your bag you know what did people pack what did they not pack I had all my herbs in my truck like (laughs) this is what I'm taking I'm taking all my tinctures and I'm taking my pruners and my kid photos but like it's it's something you didn't need a pillow Yeah, yeah, oh a my lavender God. pillow. Yeah, but oh it's my something gosh. that we can learn from because it's going to keep happening. Um, yeah, with and farmers feel it first. Yeah. And I, I know that, like, our farmers here, they just without question started donating food mm. for, for people to actually get some real delicious meals cooked. And chefs were participating, and Feed Sonoma was sending down tons and tons of produce to. To the Bay area for chef to cook it up and then uh, deliver you know Healthy fresh meals, meals. and yeah. this was the end of everybody's harvest. It was squash. it was things that are gonna get those farmers due to winter, so there's been a collection effort to kind of repay the farmers who are always you know giving it their all and pretty much donating a wow. lot of work right. to things so wow. yeah, I think it's um I think it's a disaster that in the end because of the community, um, might have some really good lessons and, and, um, hopefully I can share that information with you if it's done, if that, um, write-up is kind of like the, the best things that came, the best ideas and things that didn't work as well.
0: So. I'd love it. I'd love it, Hedda. And if you want to write something, um, from your point of view, or even the North Bay Flower Collective's point of view, I'd love to post it at the Slow Flowers Journal, um, online magazine, because I feel like, uh, they it there are lessons here for people in other regions who maybe are threatened as you said threatened by other natural disasters um what happens when the community comes together and how beautiful that um flowers are still blooming in Sonoma County and and more important than ever so um yeah i that, love that
1: it, was, it felt like that for sure it re after doing it, flowers for 5 years you kind of forget and it just totally re relit the fire
0: for me that they're so important. Mm. Great. Well, we better go. We've gone for so long. I love talking to you. You're so inspiring. And um, I will share photos of you and your flowers and this amazing Dahlia dress that you created and tell people how to follow you and and connect on social media. Is there anything you want to add that I didn't include? Oh, how to order your products, right? You sell online, right?
1: Yeah, com is my website for herbal products. And um, the last thing I want to say is thank you for doing Slow Flowers and having the American Grown Week and just being an advocate for for local farmers across the U.S.
0: Oh, it is my privilege, and um, and I'm yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad that. Uh, we have all these forums to to share ideas with each other. So thanks Hedda. Uh, I know you gotta go out and yep. harvest this morning. Yep. <laughs> so thanks <laughs> for jumping. <laughs> okay, we'll talk soon. Thank you so
1: much. Okay. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today. I know seeing the Dahlia dress that Hedda designed and made for American Flowers Week will inspire you and get your creative juices flowing. Who knows, maybe you'll dream up a wearable look of your own, and I hope you share it with me when you do. Use the hashtag American Flowers Week when you post so everyone can see it. To help you further, I've recently written nine ways to participate in American Flowers Week, a guide to the many ways you can jump on board this campaign from simple and low cost to ambitious and expansive. Check out our show notes for the link to that article and see what others have done in the past few years. In addition to gearing up to celebrate American Flowers Week, it's also time to grab your ticket to the Slow Flowers Summit. The second annual Slow Flowers Summit is again set to take place in the heart of American Flowers Week, and we are getting close to finalizing all the details for this one-day symposium. Please grab your ticket now to join us. You'll be helping me tremendously by committing now so that my event manager, Karen Thornton, and I can make sure everything's ready for a successful event. You can find all the details at slowflowerssummit.com and via links I'll share in today's show notes. I'm so grateful to our entire community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants, who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too, and I value your support, inviting you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the Donate button at debraprinsing.com in the right column. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 320,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening, commenting, liking, and sharing. It means so much. And thank you to our sponsors who have supported Slow Flowers and all of our programs. They are... Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at ArcticAlaskaPeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers' Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top-quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG, was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. And we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at Mayesh.com certified American grown flowers. The certified American grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for certified American grown flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.